The text for the sermon this morning is taken from Isaiah chapter 42, the verses 1 through 7, as we read them earlier. And after the proclamation of God's word, we will voice our Amen together by using the words of hymn 18, stanza 1. Hymn 18, stanza 1, after the sermon. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the prophecy of Isaiah gives us some of the greatest depictions of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Mediator. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah speaks of Christ and his person and his work. And in our passage this morning, he speaks of Christ as the servant of the Lord. And in the, in the book of Isaiah, we find four such passages in particular that refer to the Lord Jesus prophetically as the servant of the Lord. And we sometimes they are referred to as the servant songs of Isaiah. You'll find them in chapter 42, chapter 49, chapter 50, and chapter 53. And our text for this morning is the first of these servant songs. So as we go through these verses, verses 1 through 7 of Isaiah 42, we do so with the understanding that these verses speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is speaking here through his prophet, speaking about the Lord Jesus, but we also see in verses 5 and 6 that the Lord is speaking to his servant, Lord Jesus. So here we are confronted with, in these verses, we're confronted with who our Savior is. We're confronted with the beauty of our Savior, the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. These words then invite us to behold your Savior. Come and adore him. That's the theme for the sermon. Behold the Lord's servant, your Savior. And we will see three things in the text that he is selected by the Lord, strengthened by the Spirit, sensitive to the weak, steadfast in his task, and sovereign mediator for his people. The chapter begins with the words, Behold my servant, my chosen one. The word servant might not immediately bring to mind the idea of, or the concept of honor and glory and stature, Nevertheless, that is how we must view this servant. Why? Because he is chosen by the Lord. He is the chosen one of God. The Father chose his Son to be the Redeemer of his people, to save them. So in this sense, the Son was not a a volunteer. The Father set his heart on his own Son to choose him for this task and assign his role to him. He is God's selected servant. Behold my servant. In other words, focus your attention on him. He has been chosen by the Lord. It is a special designation of honor to be chosen by the Lord. And the Hebrew form of the word indicates that the person is not only chosen for the task, but chosen to complete the task and to continue in that task. So the task that the Lord has in mind for this servant is a task that can only be done by one who is chosen by the Lord. That is the only one, he is the only one who can carry out this task. 
And the Son of God has been given this task. And he takes this work upon himself. And, and even though he remains equal to God, as we heard from Philippians chapter 2 this morning, before the service began, even though he is equal with God, he did not find it that equality with God something to be grasped. He was willing to take on the form of a servant, the servant of Yahweh. And the Lord Jesus Christ, while he was on earth, was fully aware of this. We read in the New Testament in Luke 9 that as the days drew near for him to go to Jerusalem to be, to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he told the crowds who followed him, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John six thirty eight, And he would not be deterred from doing so. Elsewhere he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The Lord Jesus wanted to do the task that was set before him. And he was strengthened to do it. And doing the will of God was his strength. It was, it was his food, the food for his soul. And that's why he is called the servant of the Lord. He's not doing his own thing. He's not establishing his own agenda. He follows the agenda of his Father in heaven. And that was an agenda that was set already in eternity past. You can read about that in Ephesians 1, for example. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ chose us in him from before the foundation of the world. And that is his plan, that plan for the fullness of time, that plan was set in motion from eternity. And that is why the Lord says in Isaiah 42, Behold my servant, my chosen one. Behold Jesus, the servant of the Lord. Behold my chosen servant. The Apostle Peter must have had that in mind when he wrote, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. And again, he says elsewhere that Jesus Christ was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, he is chosen and precious. Well, brothers and sisters, isn't that something that we can identify with as well? Are we in Christ, not chosen servants of the Lord? And precious in his sight. Because apart from Christ, of course, we are rejected by God. But in Christ, we are his precious children. We are adopted as sons and daughters of God. Adopted by grace. We are precious in his sight. Because it cost the father the blood of his own son to adopt us. In Psalm 149, the psalmist says, The Lord takes great delight in his people. And this is the same Lord of whom we read in Psalm 35, Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. And again in another psalm, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. So the Lord who loves his chosen servant also loves his chosen people with the very same love. The love of our Heavenly Father, who delights in his people because he delights in his chosen servant who has made it possible for us to be his chosen people. So that's why we read in the last part of verse 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold my chosen, in whom my soul delights. 
The soul of the father delights in his servant because he is God's chosen one. He has a very special place in the heart of his father, the place of honor, the place of being chosen, and the place of the firstborn or the, his only begotten son. And the son willingly and gladly chose to take on the task of a servant. And so the father delights in him. He delights in how his son accepts that task and accomplishes that task. The father made that very clear when the Lord Jesus was baptized. When he came out of the Jordan River, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the Father repeated those words on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John, they were privileged to witness the divinity and the glory of Christ in a cloud of of glory on that mountain. And as they were overshadowed by that cloud, they heard a voice coming out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. Why? Why must we listen to Him? It's because He does the will of the Father and He explains the will of the Father. And so the son continued to move forward in obedience to do the work of the father. And he did this because he was chosen by the father. But he was also enabled and strengthened to do this as the father strengthened him by the spirit. Verse 1 tells us that this servant is one whom the Lord upholds. And he says, I have put my spirit upon him. So as the Son humbled himself, the Father exalted him. As Christ lowered himself to accept the will of God and do the will of God, the Father sustained him and undergirded him. The more he humbled himself, the more he was upheld. Again, this is true for everyone who trusts in this servant of the Lord. The more you humble yourself, the more God will uphold you. However, the more you do your own thing, the more God will not uphold you. Well, how then does the Lord uphold his humble servant? He says, I have put my spirit upon him. The task that the father gave his son as a man, as he assumed flesh and blood, as he became incarnate, could not be a task that he could do in his own human strength. The son became incarnate, but he needed the strength of the Holy Spirit to complete the task that the father had assigned to him. In his humiliation, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's why we read in Isaiah 42 that the Lord put his spirit upon him. The spirit of God enabled him to carry out his task, the task of saving his people and carrying out that task to the very end. In the Gospel of Luke, we read that after his baptism, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jesus He could not preach and teach and perform miracles without the Spirit of God upon him. Again, in Luke 4, we read that after his baptism, he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. He was able to resist the temptation of Satan and refute the devil. And then he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, writes Luke. And he came to Nazareth. There he entered the tabernacle or the the synagogue, as was his custom. And he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he read from that scroll, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he read. 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. So he was led by the Spirit, enabled by the Spirit. The power of the Spirit filled his humanity. And congregation, if the great servant of the Lord needed this power, then how much more do we not need that power? We are finite, weak servants of our Father, and we need this power. We are in need of the Spirit of God if we are to live as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord has given that to us. He has poured out his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And today he pours his Spirit onto the church. And he enables us and strengthens us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. He enables us to be his servants. Servants who can do his will and live lives as he directs us to live. That's our third point. The Savior is described as one who is sensitive to the weak. He is a humble servant. He walks and he he walked among us and he conducted himself with humility and gentleness and kindness. The text says he will not cry out or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. He was not loud or quarrelsome. He wasn't a bully. He did not intimidate others. He's not abrasive. He doesn't cut people off. He doesn't call attention to himself. The Lord Jesus didn't accomplish his task by by throwing his weight around. He did not abuse his spirit-empowered might. But he remained quiet and submissive. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The Apostle Peter writes of him, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Instead, he spoke in grace and with words of compassion. There was only one group of people with whom he often became angry, and then sometimes raised his voice. And those were the hypocritical leaders of Israel who should have known better. Men who had read the truth, who had read the scriptures, who should have known the truth, but because of their pride and arrogance, they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he cried out to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. But to those who were needy and broken and weak, he had words of kindness and compassion. To the sinful woman who anointed his feet with oil, he said, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. To the woman who was caught in adultery, he said, Go and sin no more. And Isaiah describes his character as one who does not break a bruised reed and does not quench a faintly burning wick. Those words give us a picture of someone who has been crushed by the burdens of life, who is deeply hurting, who is, who is bruised and, and wounded. Such a person he will not break. He will not add to their pain. The Lord Jesus doesn't take cheap shots at people who have already taken many blows. Instead, he speaks words of peace and comfort. Congregation, has he not done that for you as well? Has he not given you rest for your soul? And is he not a Savior whose compassion knows no limits? 
To those who have been dealt many blows, the Lord Jesus is a source of strength. And for to those whose hope is flickering out, the Lord Jesus is the source of hope. And when we can hardly keep on going, he offers us his grace again and again. He strengthens and encourages and he builds up. And he's never tired of doing this because he is almighty. And he is steadfast in his task. Verse 4 says he will not grow faint or be discouraged. We often get discouraged in life, don't we? But our Lord Jesus is not only sensitive, he's steadfast. He does not grow weary. He's never disheartened. Even though he was denounced bitterly by his enemies, he was not deterred from his mission to save God's chosen people. He wasn't sidetracked by unnecessary arguments or controversies. He came for a purpose. He came to serve and not to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in spite of all the opposition, he was not deterred or disheartened. In his love for the Father, in his love for us, he finished, he accomplished his task. And he would do this, Isaiah writes, until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Verse 4b. You see, he was so successful in completing his mission that after his death and resurrection and ascension into heaven, his apostles could spread the gospel through the whole world. They would go into the world making disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. His word would reach the coastlands. In other words, the gospel was spread to the nations. The ends of the earth would receive his law. And he continues that steadfast task today. He sits at the right hand of his Father in heaven. He rules from there to gather his people into his kingdom from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And he does this. And he continues to do so. And so there is a multitude so great that no one can number it standing before the throne and before the Lamb. What a Savior, congregation. What a Savior we have, chosen by God, strengthened by His Spirit, sensitive to the weak, and steadfast in His work. And He can accomplish all this, congregation, because He is also sovereign. He is and remains both man and true God. He is the sovereign mediator for His people. He will bring forth justice to the nations, writes Isaiah. He is a servant, yet a sovereign servant. So great is his empowering by the Spirit that he does bring justice to the nations. In Isaiah 9, the same prophet says of him that of the increase of his government there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Again, behold the sovereign servant of the Lord. He accomplished the will of his Father in heaven. And as he did so, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to him. He received all authority to accomplish his task. To bring forth justice to the nations. And not only to the nations, but also to individuals. He is the supreme judge 
He is the supreme judge who will and does set all things right. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 that since the fall into sin, creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, waiting eagerly for the return of Christ. We too are waiting eagerly for the redemption of our bodies, for the return of the Lord when he will make all things right. Congregation, what a divine paradox. The servant of the Lord is also the divine king. He's not just a steadfast servant, but a saving servant. And his ultimate act of servanthood would be, would be the saving of his people because he was chosen by the Father to be the sovereign mediator of his people. If you look closely at verses 5 and 6 of our text, you see that there is an inter-Trinitarian conversation going on between the Father and the Son. In verse 5, the Father is speaking. He's introducing himself. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. So he's introducing himself there in that verse. And then he addresses his servant. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. So we are, we are privileged here to hear, a, hear this conversation. The Lord is speaking. The God who made a covenant with his people, who made his name known to his people, the one true God, the one who is the origin and the source and the wellspring of grace, the God who made this plan, this plan of salvation, the God who chose his divine son to be his servant to accomplish this work. This is the God who's speaking. He says, I am the Lord and I have called you. I have chosen you and not another and called you in righteousness. So this means the son was not just chosen randomly or arbitrarily, but God in his righteous will, his will that is holy and pure and good, he selected the son to be the sovereign mediator of the covenant with his people. I give you as a covenant for the people. A light for the nations. And this God, the Lord of heaven, watches over his servant. I will hold you by the hand and keep you. I am sending you into the world on a dangerous mission. A world that's full of sin and hypocrisy. I am sending you amongst those who have killed the prophets. And now I am sending you into the world. My son, my chosen servant, my ultimate ambassador... But I will hold you and I will watch over you. And that's what the Lord did from the beginning of his life on earth. The Lord watched over his son. When King Herod tried to get rid of baby Jesus by killing all the boys in Bethlehem, the Lord ensured that Jesus escaped to Egypt. The father protects his son in this hostile world. And when, when his son stepped into the battle, when he began his ministry, he stepped into the battle. And the first thing he did was overcome the temptations of Satan in the wilderness. And then he came to Nazareth and he began to preach to his own people. And they tried to kill him. They tried to throw him off a cliff. But Luke writes, passing through their midst, he went his way. And the father held his hand and watched over him. 
And later the Apostle John records how the Pharisees tried to arrest Jesus at the feast. They sent officers to arrest him. They wanted to arrest the servant of the Lord, the one who would not bruise a reed or snuff out a faintly burning wick. But when they came to him to arrest him, they were disarmed. And when the Pharisees asked those police officers, why didn't you arrest him? They said, well, no one spoke as he does. No one has ever spoken the way he speaks. No one could touch him because his hour had not yet come. The hour that the Father had appointed for him. And so the Father protected him and guarded him his entire life. In congregation, the Lord does that for us too, doesn't he? He holds you by the hand and he watches over you. As the psalmist says in Psalm 121, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Or again, elsewhere, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord holds him by the hand. Psalm 37. Congregation, brothers and sisters, if we slip and fall, even if we do, we are not lost because we are one of his. God chose his servant to save you and to keep you. And he has appointed his son as a covenant for his people. And in his plan of redemption, the father appoints the son as mediator of his people, and he entrusts the salvation of his people to this mediator, this sovereign mediator. And this Jesus has become the mediator between holy God and sinful man. He is the one who is a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. He is the one through whom we receive all the blessings of salvation, congregation. And this this is the good news. This is the gospel. The message that Jesus himself proclaimed when he came to earth. The message that continues to be proclaimed to the blind of the world so that eyes may be opened to see the need for a Savior. Jesus himself said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so this, dear brothers and sisters, this is the work of the chosen servant of the Lord. He opens the eyes of the blind He unchains those who are captive to sin. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. God has, according to the words of the Apostle Paul, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Again, Behold the servant of the Lord. Behold the one who is chosen by God and upheld by him. Behold the one in whom the Lord delights. Behold your Savior. He was selected by the Father to come into this world, chosen to be the servant of the Lord, chosen to empty himself. And he also chose to do that, to take on the form of a servant 
to be born in the likeness of man and to humble himself even unto death on the cross. In congregation, when he became a servant, he did not raise his voice. He did not rail at poor sinners, but he offered them forgiveness and peace with God. He does not come to beat us into submission, but he comes to offer us the grace of God. He does not come with a harsh lecture, but with gentleness and kindness. And he speaks peace to our hearts. And he says, your sins are forgiven, therefore go and sin no more. Behold your Savior. Just think of the enormity of his sacrifice on the cross. He knew what was coming. He knew what was waiting for him the entire time of his ministry on earth. But with your name written on his heart, he endured the cross despising its shame for your sake. He did not allow that suffering to stop him from his purpose. So consider him that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted and surrender your life to him because with him you are safe. It's a beautiful thing, congregation, that at the beginning of every worship service we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is the same Lord who appointed the Lord Jesus to be his servant, his chosen servant, your Savior. He is the Lord who will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And yes, it's true, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. But one thing we know, in Christ, the Lord's chosen servant, we too are being kept. And we too in him are chosen as God's children and guarded by the Lord. I want to end with some words from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. David also says in that psalm, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Therefore, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Again, congregation, behold your Savior. Behold the servant of the Lord and wait for him and take courage. Amen.